Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with Dr. Barry Borgeson. Barry is a pioneer in developing a comprehensive theory to understand and manage our many hidden mental mechanisms, including those that create involuntary habits and automatic thought patterns that control our soft success factors in business. On this episode, we touch on the outlines of two selves theory which Barry developed when his old interests became an object of intense study. His intense study became a passion and eventually he became convinced he had to share his insights into how to maximize the effectiveness of our automatic activities and decided to retire early from a lucrative executive career to pursue creating two selves theory. Enjoy the discussion. So I think the first thing I'd love to have you do, Dr. Barry, um, is introduce yourself uh, kind of in your own way. Um, we're going to cover a lot of, of big, big ideas and big items, which I'm super excited about. But as a way of beginning, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Okay. Well, Barry Borgerson, uh, I'm a retired executive who uh, along the way, ran into some really crucial issues on culture change and behavior changes and uh, was able to get changes made, but way too painfully. And I decided to start trying to understand what happens in the mind that keep it causes people to just watch themselves fail. They just can't help themselves. And uh, I started studying the mind for, well, now probably three decades. And uh, now I perform behavior change coaching and culture change coaching. And I run a special interest group uh, on culture change for the Association for Talent Development. I'm giving a presentation on culture change at the annual International Society for Performance Improvement Conference. So I'm very much involved in culture changes will come out when we when we speak, I think. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that introduction. And I would love I would love to to start off with, you know, your background a little bit. You said, you know, obviously you've done a lot in corporate uh, in the corporate world. You were CEO of a multinational software and document imaging company. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious from the standpoint of the work that you've done and then the work that you're that you're that we're going to talk about today in terms of the human mind, the the human body uh, culture as well. Has has it been? Um, I mean, it's probably been a huge transformation for you as well uh, over over all these years of, of work uh, in and around corporations with leaders to see this culture change personally and professionally. Is that is that a fair statement? Yes, of course, it was a huge change for me. I, you know, my degree is in computer, computer science, you know, so I, I built right. I designed computers and built computers. And that's all, you know, thinking, straight thinking, no humans involved, just focus on on technology and products. And it's when I was leading organizations that I started seeing this resistance to changes and resistance to doing things effectively. And uh, so it's a huge change because now I work on the mind instead of on other things. Mm-hmm. And it, But right. it's been a joy. I, it, it, it takes a long time. So you talk about transformations. I had to transform myself, didn't I, from... Right. from focused on things to f- focused on people. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the areas I'd, I'd love for us to just jump into. You know, when we chatted before, we covered so many, so many topics. And if we kind of take it on a macro level, right, big picture level, zoom out a little bit. Um, one of the discussions I was having the other day with, uh, you know, with someone was there's so much transformation that's happened to humanity. But what's really interesting as human beings 
our brains, our bodies, kind of our mechanisms hasn't changed that much. Right. But there's been this huge amount of transformation that's hit us as a human race. But when you get down to the single body dynamic, we we ourselves are sort of our, our systems within a system hasn't changed that much. So I'm curious from the standpoint, your thoughts on some of this, you know, it all started as, as some might posit this sort of concept of the modern West uh, and the technology transformation. I, I would love to just dig in there and, and get some of your thoughts. Yes. I, uh, there, there's a part of the mind that's, uh, a reality lens, a perceptual lens that creates realities for us. And mm-hmm. we don't understand that well as, as a society. It, we use it. It impacts us. It has impacted us in the past. And it's crucially impacting us now, impacting us now. But people don't study it, don't think about it, don't work on it explicitly very well. And that's this contextualizing framework. I call them certainty illusions. We have certainties that are illusions in the sense that they may or may not correspond to anything outside of our mind, but boy, do they create powerful certainties for us inside our minds. And Mm -hmm. so when you say biologically, we haven't evolved much, that's true. But if you look at the layer above that, that we construct into that contextualizing part of the mind, that's hard to construct and very hard to change once it's in there, we become different. We become, you know, qualitatively different types of people. For instance, if you look at the typical person in back in what we would probably in the West call the dark ages, prior to right. the science revolution and the enlightenment in Europe, people then couldn't even in their wildest dreams have imagined the types of things we do now. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine them, their little world, they would not travel very far thinking of getting on an airplane this tube in the sky and flying a thousand kilometers <laughs> in a couple of, right. in, a, in an hour, you know? Right. And, and so what I think we are now, Bill, is we're at another threshold like that science revolution. We're at another threshold mm-hmm. where there are possibilities out there of things we can actually do that most people can't imagine right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I, I love, I love the fact that you use the word threshold because even as you describe it, and I'm I'm taking myself back, you know, the the student of history. I'm I'm total history buff, and I'm taking yeah. myself back to that that uh, age of enlightenment, right, and the Renaissance. Right. And we think back to the the thresholds that were in existence then, with art, with technology, with um, even power dynamics. And it and it makes you wonder uh, what's the threshold that we're upon now. And it's and it's it doesn't escape me that we're in this interesting time right now where I think when we last connected, Barry, uh, we we weren't watching a war. Right. I think it was right before we right before that happened. And and already we're we're starting to see this aspect of I don't want to say what's old is new again, but it feels a little bit like there's parts of World War II happening, but with social media. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's a really hard experience to to kind of go through and to reconcile. I noticed a lot of people having a really hard time reconciling with the brain, the things they're seeing, and the history that they know, or in some cases, the traumatic gen, you know, what's what's in what's in people's dna um what's in their g- genes in their genetics right um and so I, i'm curious from the standpoint of and we'll get into this a little bit with in terms of like big history but you know you've mentioned things like sapiens you've 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 talked about the importance of revisiting history to look at it um where are you at in, like how are you in the world right now with everything that you've studied and seeing what's going on with the world knowing that even since we last connected the world has changed significantly <laughs> Right. And it, it is, uh, we are reliving Hitler's Germany before our time, but our Hitler's, Hitler's Germany, where we have the same situation going on now. I think that is not part of the fundamental shifts we're going through. It's a symptom of okay. it. And this is one highly dysfunctional person for his own reasons deciding to 
wage war as as Hitler did. And with Hitler, with Hitler, uh, big changes often come when there's a lot of discomfort. And with Hitler, he was able to manipulate people because there was two huge discomforts that he that he preyed on. One was the loss in the First World War. And after mm-hmm. Versailles, what he thought of and he propagated was the humiliation at Versailles of Germany. And the other, of course, right. was the worldwide Great Depression. So, right. so there was enough discomfort. People were vulnerable to simplistic solutions. And he offered them. And then, of course, once you get to a certain point, you get so much power, it doesn't matter anymore. You just do it by brute force. Now, right. now there's a lot of discomfort in the world for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think, I think we're at another transformation point where so many things are going wrong right now and not everybody's noticing them. So I don't think what we see going on in uh, with Russia in Ukraine is the cause of the problems. I think it's another symptom of the problem. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because having, having lived in that part of the world myself, I think I may have mentioned when we connected, I lived for four years in Russia right after communism fell. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to spend, um, between 2017 and 2019, I had opportunity to spend about anywhere between four and six months, if I, if I do the math right, in Ukraine. Oh my gosh. And so oh, wow. it's, it's very, um, it feels very nascent to me, like the, the, the experience that I'm kind of, you know, encountering, having having been to these places, having stood on the, on the land, having been with yes, the people. Yes. Visceral experience for you. My goodness. Very visceral yes. experience. And, and it, and it reminds me of this aspect of, again, going back to thresholds, like there's so many thresholds of what we carry. Um, I know in some of the work that you've done, uh, you, you, you kind of go through the different thresholds of, the amount of change that's coming coming at us, mm-hmm. um, but also the amount of change that we've had to negotiate in the past um, to make sense of our world. Right? Yes, um, I'm curious from the standpoint of what you've studied. As you said, any change I think brings discomfort to begin right. with. Right, but it's how we deal with that discomfort that either humanizes us or dehumanizes us. Is that is it too simplifying? Well, it, it's a bit simplifying, but it's but it's true. Change is change is difficult. Fundamental change, behavior changes are difficult, but but our our changes in our certainties, be, be they our political inclinations, our our business cultures, our self images, our values, these things that are embedded in that part of the mind, that contextualizing part of the mind, that automatic part of the mind. Whenever we go to change those, uh, they're they're difficult for two two fundamental reasons. One, changing them is un, is uncomfortable. It just mm-hmm. it just is. But the other thing is, they come out to us as a certainty that we experiencing we experience them as being certain of something, and we can right. be completely certain of something that makes no sense at all. And right. and what's happening now with digital technologies. It's easy to induce certainties in massive numbers of people that are delusions. In other words, yeah. it's you know uh, when I when I talk about a certainty illusion, that's that's just a mental process. And it's an illusion doesn't mean it's not corresponding with something in the world, but but the certainty occurs to us internally, independent of that. And I can give you a good example. Please. In a business culture, when you start out with a business model, with a strategy, with a mission, the company starts out and it tries something, maybe not work, tries it, something doesn't work. Then they try something and it works. Well, the way we create these certainties inside our inside that part of our mind, that automatic part of our mind, is through repetition with feelings. So if you get a success, feels great. Get a success, feels great. Get a success feels good. Okay, now that migrates from a thought, from something you can write mm-hmm. down to a belief, to a certainty. It's just the way the world is to you. And and by the way, that's a certainty illusion because it's in that illusion part of the mind. But it but it corresponds with your success needs, doesn't it? It's working. Well, today the environment changes so rapidly 
because of technologies that keep coming at us at amazing rates because of the pandemic we've been through. Now the massive disruptions because of the war that Putin is pushing on mm-hmm. the world, climate change, you know, global competition. And, and so what happens is you start out with your certainty aligned, your business culture aligned with your success needs. And then pretty soon it becomes unaligned, misaligned. Mm-hmm. But the, but the certainty is in that part of the mind that doesn't care about that. It just believes it's true. And that causes a lot of failure. So we need techniques for recognizing that we have these certainty illusions, mm-hmm. having a way to check them against external reality outside of our mind, and then having techniques for transforming them, reconstructing them when we, and we will often find out they no longer serve our needs or they're counterfactual. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting. Like when you, when you talk about that certainty illusion, that just resonates with me so much, Barry, like even those words, normally you don't necessarily see those words put together, but put them together and it captures, it captures the struggle that, that, that we, that we feel. And, you know, I, I think it's so interesting, even the word illusion to me, the we think of it as um you know illusory or magic or sort of you know behind the curtain kind of thing i mean i think there's an as- aspect of it which i am reminded is you know it's in its root it means to mock uh in latin mm-hmm. and i and it's and it's so interesting cuz like you're saying it's like to mock cer- to to mock up or to mock certainty right um and we strive for that certainty. Like it's just the human, it's the human behavior side of us that that's how we make sense of the world is through certainty or illusions of certainty. Right. And people don't recognize it doesn't, people don't experience it unless they start studying it and start dealing with it and try to manage it and recognize it. They don't experience it as a construction. They mm-hmm. can, they experience it. They, we experience it. As reality. I mean, that's just a deep reality of the way the world is. <laughs> right, right. And it, sometimes it is, and many times it's not. But that doesn't make any difference to that internal reality. <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's where it's, if we, if we bring this to the example of, and I don't want to get too much into politics here, but if we get into the political, you know, playground, it very much, you know, something you and I talked a little bit about before is this is where certain certain parts of politics have taken advantage of this certainty illusion, yes. right? Used it to their advantage as a tool, yes. especially in the past five, four or five years yes, in the exactly. United States. Is that something you would say? Yes, of yeah. course. Now, here, here, let me draw another distinction for you. The generic mm-hmm. term I use for that kind of contextualizing that that reality creating part of our mind is a certainty illusion, and and that certainty occurs independent of whether it corresponds with facts in the world or aligns with our success needs. So it might or it might not. But if you if you take a certainty and construct it that verifiably does not correspond with facts in the world. Now I call mm-hmm. that a certainty delusion because it is a delusion, right? You're deeply yeah. believing something that's verifiably false. And if we want to stay in the, and that happens in business where the sure. environment changes, environment changes, environment changes pretty soon. You still believe your business model is correct and it's your, the company's failing and you can't change. But if we go to the political realm that you were just talking about, a perfect example of a widespread certainty delusion and it's verifiably a delusion, yet millions of people believe it, is stop the steal. Stop the steal, and, the election. And, and yeah. how do you get that in there? How do you construct that into masses of people? You use digital technology, use cable television, use, you know, podcasts, use use Twitter, <laughs> use various things. like, And you do it over and over again with feelings. And these feelings right. aren't the positive ones. These are these are negative ones. It's being stolen. You're mm-hmm. being robbed. It's, and and so you get and so these people believe something that's verifiably false, but it's 
It's in that part of the mind that doesn't care about whether it corresponds with facts. And it's because it makes them feel good. Yeah, that's right. And and it's very, very hard to reconstruct those. Much better to get people to understand what's happening to them and get them to avoid uh, succumbing to the manipulations mm-hmm. that construct certainty delusions. And and again, not not to not to solution the whole the whole thing here, but I'm just so curious. How do people, and from what you've studied, how do people get to a place where they realize that delusion is happening? Is Does it require them to understand how their brain works and where, to your point, maybe it's a dopamine hit or, you know, it's a, a adrenal hit of something that causes them to have that sensation, right? That feeling mm-hmm. associated with that delusion or illusion, fuse the two and say, Therefore, it's certain to, to me because it makes me feel good or it makes me feel informed or it makes me feel powerful. Yeah, that, that's not how people experience it, I don't think. They experience it. Okay. It's true. And, and, that's and it's it. passionately <laughs> true. And, and the, you can give them facts galore. See, as, as you know, and we haven't started talking about here yet, but I, I view us, we all work in two modes. And, and Yeah, two selves. We're going to get into yeah, that. Yeah. So it, it's it's – you can talk to them on the thinking level. You can talk to them uh-huh. about what, and that's what verification is. You know, you can say, okay, look at this here. In, in the case of Stop the Steal, here's 60 court cases, Republicans, Democrats, you know, state level, federal level, everywhere you look. And they've all found, every time they've investigated, they found us not true. Doesn't matter. It's a conspiracy. They'll always have some reason because it's in a different part of the mind. And mm-hmm. we don't have good control of that part of the mind. And we need, that's a major breakthrough we need. If you look at the next threshold of human development, of human advancement, we need to understand and manage that part of the mind. And how do we do that? I mean, you talked a little bit about two selves, either two or, or, or two parts of who we are. That was one of the things that really jumped out to me in your work was the well, first of all, naming the two selves, because oftentimes I think we try and bend ourselves or, you know, conform ourselves to a social model or to an organization or to uh, a group of people in order to, at a basic level, survive, mm-hmm. uh, feel a sense of belonging, Um maybe even thrive depending on what that system is. So can you talk a little bit about the two selves theory model and, and as it relates to this, I mean, I know we're jumping all over the place, but I'm, my, my mind is buzzing. Yeah, with that, that's okay. So much of this. We stuff. mentioned it. We better, we, you know, for the listeners, we better say a little more about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so fundamentally we have to come to grips with the fact that we operate in two distinct modes. And there's so many examples. If you start thinking about it, there's examples everywhere. You know, we talk about the conscious and unconscious. We talk about minds and hearts. We talk to, in business, we talk about soft success factors and hard success factors. So we have lots of ways of looking at it, but we fundamentally operate in two modes. One's a thinking intentional mode and one's an automatic unintentional mode. And, mm-hmm. We're really good at operating at the thinking mode. We're not good at all at dealing with our automatic mode, our auto self. So I have I named him. You're right. I think we have two selves. It's con- it's convenient. It's powerful. It's helpful if you think of of us as having two selves. We're two different selves: a thinking self and an auto self, automatic self or an auto self. And it's that thinking self that we got so good at during the science revolution and the enlightenment. That's that's what happened, and we right. can go into how that happened. But right now, the auto self, in particular, these certainty illusions are just destroying the things that made us great before in so many ways. And that's that's something that we just don't deal with. People just mm-hmm. don't want to think about it. They don't want to deal with it. Like, who wants to think about a certainty they have that might not be right? By the way, you ask how you get people to do that. I get them to, I get to frequently get people to pick a certainty they have. It can mm-hmm. be anything. It doesn't have to be with business, politics, anything. Pick some certainty and then suspend your belief for a little while and, and 
look up on the internet, anywhere you can, mm -hmm. look up what are all the arguments for it and what are all the arguments against it and, mm -hmm. and see how they come out. And I've had people do that and they're surprised. They're very surprised to find out that they've believed for a long time and it's, and it's in that, uh, it, it's in that certainty illusion part. They have a certainty that something was right and they found out it's, it's not right. Now, one of the things that makes it difficult when you get to that point, 60 years ago, a guy named Leon Fessinger wrote a book on cognitive dissonance. And most people have heard the word cognitive, the sure. term cognitive dissonance. Where that really comes in is when you've got a certainty illusion, in other words, you've got a belief that something's right, and then facts start getting in the way. Where, where, you, where I run into it repeatedly is when I do 360 surveys of clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other words, they've got their own self-image. And their self-image, most of the times, much, much better than people around them. And if their boss tells them they're doing something wrong, it's oh, that, that jerk doesn't know what I'm doing. All wrong. He or she is wrong. But when you get it with your boss, your peers, your subordinates, and maybe some other people around you, and they unanimously think your, your assessment is pretty far off the mark, it really creates cognitive dissonance for them. And they even get mad. They get mad at me. Right. I'm just, I'm, right. I'm, I'm just, the, I'm just a reporter. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mm -hmm. know them usually very well. I'm just reporting what people said because it's, it's, it's that tension inside. It's, it's reality vertigo. They've got this reality internally in that certain illusion part of their mind that they're a certain way. And yet the facts are just overwhelming. And it's hard to deny them. And, and they go through this process of getting angry, denial, you know, the typical things. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that succeed work through it. And then, then the, the goal, the goal here isn't to usually the goal, when you find out you've got an internal certainty, that's incorrect. You want to reconstruct a certainty. In this case, we want to do something different. We want to reconstruct the, the behaviors so that, so that the certainty you have about yourself becomes a reality. Right. Well, and I think the, the one thing that really, the, the vertigo example that you just mm -hmm. gave is so compelling to me because, and for, you know, I, and for those listening, if you've ever had vertigo, and I've actually had vertigo twice, mm -hmm. it's such a visceral experience, like you said, because you know the reality, you know the facts are that the wall that you're that you're looking at should be perpendicular. The floor that you're on should be horizontal. But when you have vertigo, even though those are true facts, it appears like everything is at an angle, or you're disoriented, mm -hmm. and you cannot, you literally cannot walk straight. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time this happened to me. It was this cognitive dissonance because I was trying to walk in a straight line, and I ran into a oh wall. Oh my gosh! Yes. At work, at work, huh. I was, it was my first, my first job out of college. And I, you know, I've since learned that a lot of times vertigo can be brought on by high amounts of stress and not taking care of yourself. And so I remember a boss of mine said, you know, thought like, have you been drinking? And I, immediately my mind was like, you know, how could they think that? Right. Well, to them. I was walking sideways right, and running right. into walls. You look like it to the outside world. You look like it. Um, and I thought in that moment, oh, like I wish I could convey to this person how disoriented I see the world right now because what's supposed to be perpendicular is diagonal and what's supposed to be horizontal is, is, is squishy at best. Um, and I think it required me and them to for for one moment suspend our belief and try and see where the other person could interpret it that way and only when we did that were we able to sort of meet in the middle yes. and and help each other yes and that required them literally getting me into a car to get me home safely mm -hmm. which was a wonderful thing to do and it required me to you know try and try and understand that I don't need to convince them <laughs> that I hadn't been drinking, right? Um, that I was actually going through this 
vertigo spell, right. which, and it's, it's, it's a great example of how all of those things were true. But in that moment, the way I felt and the way that person felt dominated what was certainty in fact right. in that moment. Right. Right. And it can, and it, that's just one small example. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it can spiral for, because your point is there's so many more things coming at us in today's world. Um, and that's, you know, that certainty is something that we have to constantly have inquiry with, but it takes, but that's, I imagine that takes a lot of work and people don't want to do that, do they? No, they don't. In fact, what's happened is our attention span has become so short just because technology mm -hmm. comes so fast. Uh, you, you see articles and, and on the articles, they'll say, you know, two minute read, three minute read. I mean, people yeah. don't, people don't want to break a sweat learning anything. That's the amazing right. thing. Almost everybody, a professional, spent 12 years in high school, you know, up through high school or 13 years. Then they probably spent four years working on a general degree, maybe two more years on a specialized degree. Massive effort, hard studying to learn their profession. And yet, and yet, things are changing to the point where most, a lot of those, well, while still valuable, they're, and still necessary, are completely insufficient now to get them to be successful yet they don't want to mm -hmm. break a sweat now to go spend a few hours learning how to learning something about what's going wrong in the world right now and right. and it's it's just information overload like what do they pick what do they pick to mm -hmm. look at it? maybe when people are listening to your podcast today they'll say oh maybe there's something there on that automatic part of the mind maybe right. maybe those certainty illusions are really something i better go look into and i better start studying because they come at you in so many ways, in you know, including uh, leadership, culture change, uh, yeah. culture change at work, your ability to to vote responsibly mm -hmm. when you're subject to manipulations. Here's another thing, uh, Bill. That's really strange. People think they're fighting for freedoms sometimes when they've been mm -hmm. totally robbed of all their freedoms. In other words. They've, they've been pushed into, constructed into a delusional world, and they think they've got a freedom, but they have no freedom left. They can't, they can't see facts anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious on that angle because one of the things I heard recently was this, this concept of freedom only exists when we understand constraint. Mm hmm so I listened recently to an episode where the host said, as an example, if we were driving on the road and there were uh, no lanes, no markers, no sense of um, where you should be and where you can go, would the sense of freedom on the open road, you know, that sense of we have that, that, that sort of... Um, fantasy, right? That we say, oh, it's to get on the open road and just just let it go, right? right just right. pedal to the metal, go. Mm -hmm. And that sensation, that feeling that we get with freedom, does that only exist because we understand constraints? So is there is the feeling only enabled because we have a sense of what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Yeah, that... And if we were to if we were to take all the constraints away, would we have that neurochemical feeling response to the concept of freedom. Yes. It, 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 you may be onto something. It may be, it may be true. I mean, free, freedom is an elusive concept. We in the West cherish our freedom. You look at the poor people in Russia right now. They're just being mm -hmm. fed so much nonsense. In fact, if you try to express your freedom, they throw you in jail. They don't have right. freedom. People in China don't have many freedoms. So we cherish our freedom. Rightfully so. We love it as part of us. But we've reached the point where our freedoms now are contributing to our destruction of our way of life because mm -hmm. they're being manipulated. So people are not able, you talk about constraints, people are not able to manage the freedoms anymore because mm -hmm. manipulation, and it's not just manipulation of thoughts. If someone tries to make you think about something, you can easily change it and think of something else. It gets mm -hmm. constructed into, into, a certainty illusion. So when they construct a certainty, they've robbed you 
totally robbed you of your freedom to make choices on that topic. And most people don't know it. They don't realize it's happening. No, that's right. They don't notice it. That's the, that's the you know, elusive and elusive part of mm-hmm. the mind. We don't, we can't see in there to see, we can't tell the difference between it's a thought and a, and a belief. It's hard to see that mm-hmm. inside. So like someone will say, well, I know the election was stolen, but they can't tell that's a construction that has nothing to do with reality. It's just reality mm-hmm. for them. And the same thing, you know, it's not just that. It has to do with our values. It has to do with our self-image. It has to do with our business model at work. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty broad how that, how that works. Do you think it's more the auto self? I mean, I, I think I, I think I kind of know the answer, but I'm just curious when you talk about the thinking self and the auto self. Yeah, it's all in the we, all in the auto self, 100. It's all in the auto yeah. self. Yeah, and and how do we? You, you you do so you do a lot of behavioral work with folks, but how do we get people to one recognize there's the auto self, and then two spend more time moving towards the thinking self because even as we talk about it it's a lot of work and one of the things i worry about is that people don't want to put in the work i mean they they don't want to read a three-minute article i don't think they're going to necessarily want to carve out time to move away from the auto self to the thinking self and explore that right well the easiest way the easy the easiest way is to train people notice Mm -hmm. that they're being manipulated and and the best way to do that is before it migrates from a thought to a belief to a certainty. Is notice it. that somebody is saying the same thing over and over again and inducing feelings in you. Now, mm-hmm. there's a benign way that that happens to us all the time. So if you want to notice how it works, you can notice it. Marketing, you know, branding. Branding does that, yeah. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. In branding, you can take, you know, I'll just take maybe a car as an example. or or soda pops they'll they'll give an image they'll they'll give music they'll give a celebrity they'll give they'll give uh scenery that make you feel Mm -hmm. really good and they'll do it over and over and over again and they can sell their product without and make people really believe that product is superior without ever mentioning any attribute that would make it better they don't say it's faster better cheaper it's just it just, they make you feel good. It's, it's repetition in feelings, repetition in feelings. Now that's pretty benign. All that does is cost a little money because you're buying a brand instead of a generic. And that's, but mm-hmm. it's the same process that politicians use and others use to, to construct certainty delusions in you that cause you to do, not just spend a little money maybe you could avoid, but cause you to, vote for for things that are that are terrible and i i think we're, we're you do that enough and you end up with a putin mm-hmm. and and you just you pretty soon you, you you have people that lose track they're so lied to it's the you know it's the dystopia from uh 1984 yeah. you know mm-hmm. where war is peace and and uh and and, and lying is is truth, you know, the truth network. <laughs> uh, so the, the easiest thing is to avoid it. And it's not mm-hmm. hard to avoid. It's just not hard to avoid when you know it. And that, that's not hard work. It's just a little bit of training. People could learn to watch for it when someone's repeating something over and over. Stop the steal. Stop the steal. A million times. Every time. Every time you open your mouth, you say it people start believing it. And, and when you see that, you say, well, that person's not trying to persuade me. That person's manipulating me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's one example. Yeah. Well, and it, and it's interesting that you give the car example, because I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but occasionally when, you know, I would travel or, you know, before the pandemic, I'd travel and I'd be in hotels. And, you know, you put on the TV in the hotel room, sometimes for just background mm-hmm. noise. And I'd see all these car ads and I'd see all these pharmaceutical ads. And the car ads confused me a little bit, Barry, because the thing that I was always confused by is they show these scenes of, you know, New York or San Francisco or, 
you know, Los Angeles. And first of all, there's no other car on the road (laughs) except that car. (laughs) They're driving very erratically. Um, They show a passenger or a a driver in the car, completely calm, cool, like, you know, smile. Good looking. And good looking. (laughs) And they, they ultimately, you know, either zoom through a city or arrive at a city. And I think one, even one recently was I saw was for um, Toyota, which confused me a little bit because it used, uh, it used Captain Marvel, uh, the actor that played Captain Marvel Mm -hmm. in the, in the ad. And she's driving in reverse completely erratically, you know, spinning around alleys, avoiding cars, Mm -hmm. avoiding people to, to, I'm assuming convey the responsiveness of this wonderful car. Uh, but that actually flies in the face of all the things that you might buy a car for the safety, the reliability, the comfort. And still, I used to say to myself, watching those commercials, I'd say, is that like, do they think that's going to get me to buy that car? I mean, maybe I'm an anomaly. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, not a, not a, uh, their target audience, but it always confused me. And the same thing with the pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. You know, they show these wonderful scenes of families skipping down the beach right, and, right, right. Um, you know, in the pool or having this wonderful picnic table with this beautiful tablecloth and everybody's smiling. And then they list out for a good minute and a half of this commercial all of the negative things that could happen to you if you took this medicine. Right, right. Um, right. And I obviously I know that there's, positives and negatives with all things. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not anti-medication. I'm not anti-pharma, but those two, those two examples of, of marketing just always beguiled me a little bit. And I kept thinking to myself, I, you know, it's almost like you look around and you're like, is anybody else seeing this? Well, people should be and they're not. And that's, that's the problem. I, I'm so attuned to this. I, I'm just about immune to branded mm-hmm. products. I, yeah. I, I, I get a lot of generic products, but you you know, in some cases, the branded product might be better, but in most cases, that's not the case. They're not. That's not what they're selling. Right. They don't. And it, the, the thing that gets me, they they might do all those things and also try to convince you it's superior. But in the, yeah. the great thing is when they never even mention a characteristic that would make it better than someone else, and people don't realize that, and then it becomes potent. I mean, people genuinely believe that's the best yeah. product, right? Because of how it made them feel right, in a certain right, moment, right. and they see it over and yeah. over and over and, it becomes and over a certain again. Illusion. They're certain it's better, and you can tell you them know, it's not. It doesn't matter. One of the greatest examples I think I heard recently of a certainty illusion, which I think you'll appreciate, Barry. So I saw last week that, as you described, a lot of the media and independent press in Russia has been shut down. Um, if not, many of them have just left. Right. There was a scene that I saw of a TV station, a TV and radio station, I believe, that was so um, against what is happening um, with you know Russia invading Ukraine, against the war, against Putin, that they decided to, on their last day of broadcast, you know, walk walk off. And what they did, uh, they all walked off. They all made a statement. They all walked off, which is pretty risky. You know, a lot of them are putting their lives right. in danger by doing so. And then they queued up to play Swan Lake, the ballet, on the on the um, on the programming. They just queued it up. It was the last thing that people could see if they were still tuned into that channel. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did that, and I did not know this bit of history, was when in 1991, when the coup was happening, um, and the coup had failed against Gorbachev um, in Russia. Mm-hmm. The the media, the state media decided rather than report on things or give people information, what they would do is they would play the ballet Swan Lake. Oh. <laughs> because you want to talk about a certainty illusion. Right. Um, I'm assuming they made they made the judgment that if we just distract people enough with one of our proudest pieces of art and culture right. and who and 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 maybe what Russian wouldn't love watching Swan Lake, this beautiful ballet mm-hmm. Um, on on the TV at home, isn't this a wonderful thing? While what is happening behind all that was really what they needed to see. So as a gesture of rebelliousness, 
those people that walked off the TV station last week or the week before queued up the same Swan Lake to play <laughs> as a way to say, and this was what was happening at the fall of the Soviet Union, and this is what we'll be playing at the fall of you know, this, this chapter yeah. in Russia's history. Uh, and I thought it was just so brilliantly done. Yeah, that's good. I, I didn't see that. That's excellent, though. Yeah, good. Um, good. You know, it, it's all about that gaining control of... Um, of those things that people and and it's and it's a balance because as you said that you know what are the cherished freedoms that we have um, and we think it's all about you know to bring it back to that piece of freedom we think we have all these freedoms uh, but what are what freedoms are we actually surrendering every single day that we don't even realize right. that we are deluded in doing so and still when somebody comes to you and says, you realize you're surrendering your freedom of thought, your freedom of critical thinking, your, your freedom of choice by going along with this. Oftentimes that person you're trying to illuminate that to yells back at you yeah. for a reason, right? Yeah, that happens. I tell you, when I, when I do 360 surveys in business, these are just good, normally calm, successful nominally successful business people and you give them the feedback and they get angry. They get angry. Yeah. 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 That's not true. That can't be true. They got it wrong. I have people, I'm going to quit if that's what they think about me. Well, you could mm -hmm. quit, but you know, you're going to take it with you. <laughs> it won't be resolved. Yeah. It's not going to be resolved <laughs> by just leaving or walking away right. and not facing it. So how do people, you know, in 360, I, I, I love 360 feedback for that reason. I remember when I was in the military, the way in which people were reviewed was done very differently until they made that switch towards the, the 360, because you used to be so afraid of what um, your leader would say, right? You would, you, would, you would essentially work to gain the approval and support of a leader, yes. sometimes at the detriment of your own troops mm -hmm. and the people at your level. Right. And when they introduced the 360, it was pretty revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the emperor has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes. Right, right, right. Um, do you think more corporations, more, enti you know, maybe even nonprofits, universities, are they starting to do more of that? I, I hear about it. But as you describe, it's not an easy thing to go through if people are not prepared for it. Yeah, yes, yes. I've worked with nonprofits and, and, and they, they do it. And it doesn't matter whether you're a for-profit or a non-profit mm -hmm. uh, when you get the feedback. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. I mean, I've had, I've had people who are really good. And 80% of their feedback was really consistent with them. But they had a couple of them that were really bad, and they just couldn't stand it. I mean, it really upset them. Mm -hmm. it's, and it, it's, it's such a good example of a certainty illusion, isn't it? You're certain you're yeah. right. And yet the evidence right. is overwhelming that you're not. And so you, you start to ask, what happens? Most people, after a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, will come to grips with the fact that they've got, that, that their self-image is wrong. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it just, it's just too many people that they respect and that they work closely with and that know them have all said the same thing. And they, okay, I'm wrong. And then, in many cases, these people have the opportunity to get coached and then they can change those yeah. things that they don't, that other people don't like about them. And they'll get into that. That's, that's the whole thing. People quit when they got the opportunity to get someone to invest in their, in their transformation uh, and their growth. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then they just take it with them. Most people don't quit. Most people, some people threaten, people get angry. People chew me out if I'm giving them the feedback, but mm -hmm. they usually settle down after usually pretty quickly. Usually. But that first, it's that, it's that cognitive dissonance again. It's just, it's that, you know, reality vertigo. It's just, you're off balance. Yeah. This can't be true. You know, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm also curious from the standpoint of, is that, you know, you said something in there, which was take a few days, take a, like I'm, I'm imagining taking a few days to sort of process it, maybe going for a walk, go for a hike, go for a swim, yeah. whatever that is. I oftentimes hear people say that it, it requires a little bit of distance or space or separation from it to make that sort of full circle um, acquaintance with that discomfort or that delusional reality. Is there any shorter path than doing that? I mean, if some people might want, right, they want the shortcut. They're like, okay, doc, you know, Dr. Barry, I get all this, but like, I don't want to sit for this for three days. I just want to like, you know, 
pass go collect $200. Let's get this over with. But I'm curious, is, is that the shortest path? And I don't mean short in the sense of like, I want a shorter path, but is it the most optimal path? Yeah, you have to, that you you need to, to work take space through it. And time. Some people work through it yeah. in a few minutes and other people take a few days. Uh, I've, I've had a couple of people that never got through it and uh, it didn't yeah. work out well for them, but most people do it. I, I give you my most dramatic example. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, uh, I gave a 360 to a guy who was really smart and did a lot of good work, but he was very difficult for people to deal with. And I think they wanted to get rid of him. I think HR wanted to get rid of him. So I'd coached a lot of people at that company successfully. So so the HR person had this feeling, I think, okay, I'm going to then have you go coach him, fail, and then I'll be able to make the case that he's in, incorrigible. He, he, can't, right. he can't be fixed. He's so bad. Well, this guy mm-hmm. turns out grew up with the CEO in the company. And, and so the CEO, I suspect was protecting him because he liked him. They, they, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it was a family business and the CEO grew up in the business with his, his dad. And, and what, what happened was I gave this guy the feedback and he exploded and I could see why people didn't like him. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he screamed at me and he cussed at me and he was going to go see the CEO and resign right now. That's the end of it. I'm out of here. If that's what people think about me. And he kept chewing me out and yelling mm-hmm. at me. I kept trying to explain to him that uh, it's not my opinion. These right. are people around you. And I said, if you leave, you're just going to take it with you. It's not going to go away. So after taking a beating for, seemed like forever, but it was probably hours, uh, I was out of town. So I went to my hotel trying to calm down after getting here. Because when, when you're doing this, you have to train yourself not to react. You don't scream back. You oh, don't walk that's, out. That's the hardest part yeah. oh, for it me. Is hard. As you're describing it, I'm feeling it under my rib it's cage. It's very hard. It's very hard. So I'm back there trying to calm down. And then late, pretty late in the evening, he calls me. He's got my cell. So he calls me. And he says, okay, I want to get into coaching. <laughs> and I said, wow. what happened? He said, well, the first thing. I called my wife to tell her how bad you were. And, and she said, don't come home until you calm yourself down. And, sure. and the second thing he said is what he always does is when he screams, people scream back. Mm-hmm. And he always, it's always possible for him to blame them. See, it's them. It's not me. They're screaming at me. I'm just defending right. myself. He says, I screamed at you for three hours and you refused to scream back. <laughs> he said, there was no way I could blame my behavior on you. <laughs> right, right. And he worked through it that day, but I mean, it was powerful. And then, and then, by the way, I got him into coaching, totally surprised everybody by by reconstructing his bad behaviors and really worked out really well. So that was a great success, but what a, what a challenge. And they, that's sort of the extreme example of, the cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance just causing rage in somebody. Well, and I think it goes back to what you were saying. Like, we, there's so much of the brain that we continue to study, and the more we study, the 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 more we realize we don't know about like so many parts of the brain. And, right. And and you know, this is why it's been such a fascination for me as uh, through organizations, through helping people go through change, through my own studies. This aspect of you've got to get to know the way in which a the human brain works mm-hmm. and then b these patterns and these uh, pathways that for me i learned over the course of time with things like meditation or mm-hmm. you know really kind of going inward and understanding why is it that you know on the simplest terms as i understand it why is it that this pathway this neuro pathway is so full of myelin that it's like greased up and it's like the mm-hmm the the fastest way for the 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 neuron to fire and i keep arriving at the same result you know mm-hmm. um and that inquiry and that discernment and me investigating things like the concept of equanimity was neuroplasticity happening mm-hmm. um it's hard work though i mean i've been meditating for eight years mm-hmm. seven or eight years and and you just start to feel the the sort of tinges of the of the benefits at times but it's really hard for people to do especially in the world that we have now with everything coming at us yes now here's here's a a distinction i'll I'll draw for you that might be helpful there's no question that the 
the neurons are down there firing. But I mm -hmm. model at the mind level, not the brain level. And oh, tell me. And more. the reason yeah. for that is, at the mind level, I can I can I can create things like the auto self, and I can create certain illusions, and I can create different concepts like that that can't be mapped very well onto brain functions. So okay. it's not the case that, you know, the left brain, light, right brain, they think, okay, part of it may be on one side and the other. No, it certain things, certain things, there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between the mind and the brain. In the things mm -hmm. we're talking about for the auto self, most of it's distributed. So you have to abstract it at the mental level. It's, it's okay. so the, the way I like to look at it is the mind, the human mind, is a unique entity in the in the universe, in the world, certainly. And so we mm -hmm. need a unique theory for that. And the science is superb at understanding and managing the physical world. I created two self's theory to understand and manage the mental world. And mm -hmm. you can't get at it. I'll say this. Scientists are so good. They're so brilliant. They're so effective. They're so competent. If you could solve some of these problems at the mental, at the brain level, rather, they would have done it. Yeah. And right. so you need a different model. You need a mental model, not a physical model to solve these problems. And that's what I've got to try to get people to do. Understand there's mental constructs. They're in the auto self. Mm -hmm. there, there are certainty illusions. There are certainty delusions. There are comfort imperatives. There's all, now, some of those things, some of the comfort stuff you can model the brain level, mm -hmm. but the the certainties you can't do it because they're distributed. There's no way you can hang a probe on the brain and find yeah. out that somebody believes the election was stolen, right. or, or or believes that their business model is still correct, even though the environment's changed. That stuff's spread out, so you need to abstract it at the mind level, not just the not not at the brain level. And of course, the brain's yeah. involved, but. That's not the place to model these things we're talking about. I really appreciate that reminder, that distinction. And I think sometimes I I forget that, which is like you said, there's the brain, but there's the mind. Right. And the study of the brain is different than the understanding of the mind and how much we don't understand. And I love the aspect of, like you said, it's it's um it's just there's all these things are distributed. They're they're abstract. They can't, you can't pinpoint something. Um, even when we're talking about neuroplasticity, it's a wonderful reminder because even for me, I realized as you were describing that what I was reaching for, Barry, was certainty. Yeah. Right. I was, I was reaching for, oh, well, we must be able to pinpoint something in the brain that says when this neuron fires, this happens. Right. And we're so, and scientists are so certainty. good at doing stuff like that. And it, and it works yeah. for many, many uh, aspects of the brain and they do a superb mm -hmm. job, but it, it just isn't. It just isn't going to work for the mind level activities. And that's part of the problem. We rely so much on our amazing expertise at science that people keep wanting to use science to solve the problem. And we need a, men, a mind level, which two selfs theory is an example that solves a lot of different types of problems. You, we, need, we need theories at the mind level now, and that's sort of the next phase. So two yeah. selfs theory or something like it will be the equivalent for the next wave of human progress that science and the Enlightenment were pr primarily science at the physical level for the creation of the modern West. Which is exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> well, I think the question I was going to ask was, you've introduced this two-self theory, which I think the piece to me is is exciting and terrifying at the same time. Because as you said, it's like the taking us to the next evolution of what it means to be modern man, woman, thinking concepts of the West, as you said. Um, and I think the question I was positing or posing was, how do people find out more about this two-self theory? And I'm imagining people listening are going to say, this really resonates with me. Or to your point, it brings up just enough discomfort that I want to lean in and learn more. Where can they find out more about this and, and you and some of the stuff we've talked about today? Well, then go to my website, uh, Two Selfs, and it's the numeral two, mm -hmm. S-E-L-F-S.com. And there's some articles on there. 
and they can read the different articles that uh, that I've written on that, published articles, but they can find them there. And that's a good start. They can, you know, if, if they want to learn something more specific, they can certainly contact me, Barry at twoselves.com. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and then one last thing I would just love to ask you about is when you think about all the things that you've studied, you've read, you've written about, I mean, there's books behind you, which I love because I've got this huge bookshelf of books on, off to my side here. Right. I think we're both <laughs> avid readers. What are, what are you most hopeful for? And I'll start with the, I'll start with the positive, the, uh, the optimistic. And then what really kind of concerns you um, as we as we talked about kind of the evolution of of this grand experiment that we're in? Yeah. Well, what I'm most hopeful about is there's a lot of pieces in place, a lot of insights where people understand something's going on that's mysterious. Mm -hmm. It's it's. It, we don't understand it. And we have metaphors we use for it, like in business, soft success factors, heart for, you know, hearts and minds, the mind, they mean the thinking self and the heart, they mean the auto self. But you, you can't, metaphors point to something important, but they don't explain it. Yeah. So, so I'm hopeful that there's enough different pointers out there that people are going to say, okay, it's there. There's enough problems in business coming out i can give lots and lots of examples of business problems politics you can't miss them I mean, <laughs> stop the steal if you want to see it in politics look at stop the steal right. all those people that believe something that's verifiably false and and so so the, the pessimistic part is we are on a downhill slide now yeah and we don't have the energy right now and i'm struggling to get people have the energy the concentration to deal with the fact that we have concepts and processes we need to get to, to to get to the next phase so uh, you know I, I i i refer to it as resurrecting the greatness of the west we're on a decline right now i'm convinced of mm -hmm. it and we're on a decline because there's a mismatch between what we unleashed in the science revolution and the enlightenment two and a half centuries ago has made us so effective at thinking and solving scientific and technological and product problems that they've now overwhelmed another part of human nature and that's our ability to deal with it right and the next phase is to get that ability and that's managing the autosolve and in particular if we want to focus right in on it it's man under you know I'd, I'd say explicitly recognizing comprehensively understanding and systematically managing the autosolve and in particular our certain illusions that's tremendous um barry this is this is an amazing conversation to have had on a friday morning <laughs> i mm -hmm. so appreciate your time um, well thank you for the opportunity i really appreciate that yeah i i am convinced that uh listeners are probably going to go back and listen to this one like four times because there was so many like you know knowledge mm -hmm. knowledge uh drops we did in here and you know i also want to name this aspect of like it's intentionally, if it's making people feel a little bit like discomfort or thinking about what, how they consume information or taking a critical lens to how they feel versus how they respond. Good, right? Like good. That's, yeah. that's, that's wonderful. Lean into that. Um, and if people have questions and want to understand how that happens, reach out to Barry, right? Like that's the, there are people that have dedicated their passion and their gift and their skill to this. It gives me a lot of hope personally, um, that, that we, we can now name those two selves because honestly, Barry, I got tired of showing up and having to pretend to be or ignore one aspect of without investigating the other. Um, I mean, maybe that's why I do the work I do, but um, yes. yeah, I, I just really appreciate the opportunity to, to, have, to have chatted with you, learned about this um, and, and echo some of the amazing work you're doing. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate all the great questioning you did and the opportunity to uh, get some of this in front of your audience. And I hope they uh, may be a little uncomfortable because it's different for them. Sure. But maybe, maybe they'll be a little more enlightened too and want to pursue it a little more. Absolutely. So that's great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. You bet.